and she was like, Danny, are you Christian or are you Catholic? Mm-hmm. And I was like, are those two separate things? <laughs> right? What do you mean? I'm Anne McNamee Keels. And I'm Stephanie Shavera. And this is Lapsed, a podcast about growing up Catholic. And today we have a special guest. Today we have Danny. Danny is a 21 year old writer and illustrator born and raised in Costa Rica. She's a femme lesbian and a devout Catholic and spends most of her time reminding everybody of those two facts. <laughs> she runs the blog and subsequent store. And Her Saints, which seeks to illustrate the holy in an affirming and inclusive way. So welcome, Danny. Yeah, welcome. A really fun bio to read. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad my my humor is a bit like uh, appreciated. (laughs) Absolutely. And I did want to say before we even start chatting, just congratulations on your most recent, your um, cover art on US Catholic Magazine a couple months ago in December, right? Yeah, it was the December issue. I'm, I'm very proud of it. And I'm very happy that it happened. Very honored to be asked. It's beautiful. We can we will link it as well as your other work in our show notes. But um, yeah, it's amazing. It's very exciting. Thank you. Very Thank cool. You. So I do want to delve into that issue and your art. But before we do that, we've got to go back to the beginning. Like I said in the intro, this is a podcast about growing up Catholic. So we are just curious. I mean, tell us a little bit about the religious uh, or spiritual landscape of your childhood. Did you grow up Catholic? Oh, my gosh. It's so complicated. (laughs) Always is. That question's never not. (laughs) My family's all Catholic. Both my my grandmothers were Catholic, and usually, you know, in Central American households, the women are the ones that pass on religion to the children. Can I just tell you, we love Catholic grandmas on this podcast. (laughs) Steph and I both talk about our Catholic grandmas often. Guests often refer to their Catholic grandmas. It could have been the name of the podcast, just Catholic grandmas. (laughs) Catholic grandmas. (laughs) I come from a long line of Central American Catholic women and sometimes the men too my grandfather wasn't catholic though that's that's a whole other conversation my parents are both catholic my brother and sister went to catholic school i however did not for the most part of my upbringing i went to protestant school it was also private like i I must say that i come from a very privileged background so whenever i speak about schooling my experience is not the general like costa rican experience that's what i mean Mm. i did go to a protestant school that's where i think my vision and my view of christianity as a whole was kind of warped i remember this one time my neighbor went up to me and she was like danny are you christian or are you catholic (laughs) and i was like are those two separate things (laughs) right what do you mean so she asked my mom she was like danny's mom are you guys catholic or christian and my mom was like what did danny answer (laughs) and 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 she was like she said she didn't know and my mom got so (laughs) mad she was like you are catholic oh don't you ever forget that yeah so for me going to this school i just saw christianity as a whole like i didn't see the denominations Mm -hmm. it was just you're either christian or you're not christian right there was a lot of diversity and we had classmates that weren't Christian. We had classmates that were Muslim. We had class- classmates that were Buddhists. 
So for me, it was just you were Christian or you're not. And then sometimes some kids did the sign of the cross when they finished praying mm. and the rest did not. So it was like a general sense. And then one time I remember I took the bus to school. There was this girl. She was like a year before me and she turned to me and she was like, Danny, are you Catholic or are you Christian? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and she said, well, do you pray to the Virgin Mary? Uh-huh. And I was like, I don't. And later on, I was I was reflecting on it. And I was like, oh, she meant the Hail Mary. Uh-huh. Because to me, I wasn't praying to the Virgin. Right. Which is something you said. Yeah. So I felt so bad. I was like, Virgin Mary, I'm so sorry. I denied you. <laughs> the most Catholic response ever. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. I didn't know she meant like she meant it like that. So yeah. So for me, go, growing up, Catholic wasn't my identity until my mother made it so. Mm-hmm. And then when I was eight, I had to go take uh, first communion classes. Mm-hmm. And it was so horrible. I grew up as a fat kid. I was bullied. Mm. It was such a bad environment. Those first communion classes I was taking out. My grandmother's, I don't know how to say it, her barrio. Her neighborhood. Her neighborhood. Yeah, that's the word. They were so bad that my mom had to take me out. So I didn't make my first communion until years and years later. I was the oldest one in the class. Wow. And the the catechist teachers did nothing. That's... I'm so sorry that happened. Later on, this became part of my Catholic identity. I was like, all my Protestant friends don't have to take these stupid classes Mm -hmm. where they get bullied. Mm. So I hate being Catholic. That's a great leap of logic when about that age, right? They're all associating it all together. And then I did my first communion. It was humiliating. I was 11. I was the biggest kid in every sense of the word. Taking this class once a week with all these children that were like... (sighs) Little. Four years younger than me. Yeah. At that age, it's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was almost like humiliating. I hated it. I hated my first communion classes. How was the decision made that you would finally go back and and do it again? Was that a a decision you made or was that a decision that was made for you? It was a decision that was made for me. I have the suspicion that since my grandmother died during those years, I think that's when my my mother was like, okay, she's going to have to get it done. Ooh, it was like so hard because imagine finding a dress for a big kid. Suitable for first communion. Yeah. You almost are like close to bridal sizes at that point. We went to see bridal dresses, like, like, which was humiliating too. I think about when I was 11, I was the height and essentially almost the size I currently am. I was the height I am now. Like That's an adult woman size. Me too. So we had to go check at wedding dresses and I hated it. It feels ostracizing. Yeah. Yeah. So again, my relationship with my Catholicness was seen through the lens of my body mm. and just being separated from everyone else mm-hmm. in the weirdest sense ever. So I hated it. <laughs> oh. I hated it. Yeah. And we eventually got a seamstress to make me a dress exactly how I wanted it. So that was nice. Oh, that mm. is nice. Yeah, but oh my gosh, it was so humiliating. Mm -hmm. And then got my first communion done and then I was done. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm never going to do this again. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, I realize I'm gay two years later when I'm 13. Mm. And that was a whole other can of worms (laughs) because, well, at least I was in a school that was like diverse. It wasn't open, but it was better than what was going to come. Mm -hmm. We had teachers say, yeah, some people are gay. Mm. 
-hmm. It's their choice, but some people are gay. It's fine. I had a lot of internalized homophobia that I don't know where it came from because my parents are super open. Mm. Thank God. Yeah. My family is all super open. I recently found out that my grandmother, the one that passed away when I was 11, she was a seamstress too. And she used to make the ballroom dresses for all the drag queens in San Jose. Oh my <gasps> God. Get out. Yeah. That's quite the discovery. <laughs> We've just had this lovely theme of ballroom culture. I don't know. I also, I watched pose pose recently but i feel like since i watched that we've just had this theme of ballroom and drag culture come up on this podcast and it makes me so deeply happy yeah that is amazing i love that i come from a very open family so i have no idea where this sense of like dread and disgust towards Mm. like who i am came from i'm still trying to figure it out because when i realized i was gay and i had my first crush on a girl i was like dang it (laughs) can you swear on this podcast yes Yes. please (laughs) okay i was like fuck (laughs) what am i gonna do (laughs) so mm, i don't know how to say this i completely shut down Mm -hmm. i went through one of the worst times in my life i was having panic attacks and meltdowns Mm. every single day and i had to start going to therapy because the teachers were noticing and my parents were noticing that something was wrong and I couldn't verbalize it. I couldn't tell anyone I was gay. Yeah. And that's what I was feeling. But I also, in a weird way, felt that God was okay with me. Hmm. This was more an issue with society. I've always loved God, even though I hated Catholicism and I hated the practices and I hated how it made me feel. I loved God. Hmm. When I was little, I would read the Bible they just sit outside and just read it as it was a children's book. It's an interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> I was in love with it. I loved praying. I loved all these things. But the way the world made me feel, that was a whole other story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I had my first girlfriend. I was terrible to her because I was having such internalized mm. homophobia. And even though I loved her, and I still do, we're still friends. It was such a horrible experience mm-hmm. to her and to me. She was ready. I was not. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got quite the journey already for, and you're mm-hmm. only a teenager in this story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, years go by. I'm 14. <laughs> yeah. And I realized that I don't want to stay in Costa Rica. Mm. I want to study English literature. I've always had, it's kind of like a sick fascination with Anglophone English speaking culture. Mm. It's weird. It's weird. And I, I, they're very good colonists. They like, they got, <laughs> they get into people's brains. And with the language, I was terrible at it for such a long time. I had to take tutories. I had to stay after school to learn English. I was a kid, nobody in class called because I was such a bad reader mm. of English. And then something in my brain switched. And I was like, I'm fascinated by this. <laughs> I'm fascinated by this language. Fascinated by this culture. This is so weird. <laughs> so I started learning it by myself, watching videos. And then I was like, I want to go to Canada because the state scares me. Oh. Smart. But Canada feels better for me. Oh, for sure. Now I have a different <laughs> opinion. but <laughs> <laughs> It's more complicated, but I, I absolutely understand that mindset that makes a lot of sense yeah 
I was 14. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. I was I was like, okay, so what's the game plan now for me to study abroad somewhere? Okay, I have to get a baccalaureate that'll be international. Mm-hmm. So I switched to a school that gave the international baccalaureate program because my, my current school didn't. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, where do I go? And I have this best friend who I've had since we were seven. She's my everything. I love her with my whole heart. Is she also Catholic? She's also Catholic. And she was in this Protestant school. And then she switched to this all-girls Catholic school. Mm, I'm familiar. (laughs) Then she went to Honduras for a while. And then she came back. She was like, I'm going back to this all-girls Catholic school. They offer the IB. Mm. If you take it, you can apply to international schools. So do you want to do this? And I was like, okay. So I switched schools. So you went from a co-ed Protestant school to an all-girls Catholic school. Yeah, when I was 15. Wow. Wow. What was that transition like? It was a nightmare. (laughs) Here's the thing. I have so much love for my classmates Mm -hmm. that went to that school. I have so much love for the teachers. Some of them. (laughs) It taught me a lot. And the IB program was, in my personal opinion, very well executed there. But it was an all-girls extremely conservative and elitist Mm. it was an opus day school Mm. i don't know if you guys know oh opus day that's like the um those are the latin mass people oh uh not really it's really conservative right it's very conservative okay it's extremely conservative and i wouldn't be surprised if they had any intersection with latin mass people i think they do in the u.s for sure Opus Day statues of Opus Day were promulgated by J.P. the second in 1982, written yeah. in Latin. Okay, so yeah, these are like real conservative rule follower. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, was it nuns teaching you? No, they have this system called numeraries. So okay, look, <laughs> I can't say a lot about Opus Dei because they're very scary mm. in a lot of ways. I'm already in the lion's mouth. Mm-hmm. I am a queer Catholic illustrator, and everyone knows it because I make it everyone's business. Mm-hmm. But I do have my concerns over the way it is run, sure, and the way it affects people's lives. Wow, I think they have to reevaluate the way they teach the groups they get along with Uh just because you're one step away from far right Mm -hmm. yeah i imagine there's some even overlap oh there definitely is and especially in latin america yeah Mm -hmm. they have so much power Mm. they have so much money don't quote me on this they're the wealthiest section of the catholic church especially here Mm. They own a lot of lands. They own a lot of money. I have to be honest. I don't love them. I have a lot of criticisms against them. Yeah. Sure. But this was where you were having to go every day as a high schooler. I had no idea, though. No, I'm sure. Why would you? And you're a child. (laughs) I thought they were just quirky. And I kept this diary through all of my teenage years where I documented this. And I have the thought process. I have the pros and cons list in this diary. And I was like, maybe they're a little conservative, but I know who I am, so mm-hmm. I'll be fine. 
Yeah. It's not like I grew up in this environment. Right. And I found out I was gay whilst being in this environment. Since I already know that I'm a lesbian, I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Spoiler I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, like, like me nervous. Just <laughs> There's the twist part. I think many teens would think about it that way. You just have this, I'll speak for myself. As a teenager, I feel like I had an inflated sense of like, what I could handle, of how adult yeah. I was, of how I'm already developed as a person, right? Like, yeah, I can just put my head down and do my thing yeah, because I'm basically an adult, but you're not and you have so little agency and you're still developing. And, you know, I think it's interesting. I'm going back to you saying, like, I don't know why I had all this internalized homophobia because, like, my family was really open and I just... The culture does a number on us, right? Yeah, and there's so many ways growing up as kids. There's so many things that we don't even realize. And it's the media. And, it, you know, our family, I think, plays such a crucial role. But, I mean, as a parent, this is something I think about all the time. Like, I can't – all I can do is, like, think about what I do as a parent. But, like, you can't control the whole world. And even if it's not explicit, there's so many sort of implicit messages coming at us as when we're growing up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so – I get to the school and the first thing they tell me is, are you confirmed? Mm-hmm. You're 15. TikTok, TikTok. And you're not confirmed at this point. I'm not confirmed. And I was like, do I have to be? And they were like, no, well, it's preferable. We are taking classes with the seventh graders, so <laughs> the 13 year olds. History repeating itself. Oh, oh gosh. gosh. History repeating itself. And my mom was like, you should do it. And I was like, Look, girl, (laughs) I've been down this road before. I don't want to do it again. So I kept putting it off. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'll join the classes next month, next month, next month. And I didn't do it. I was so certain because I got there on the first day. And the first day they were like, okay, we're going to have a debate about homosexuality and abortion. Oh, Oh my God. This makes me so angry for you and for all the kids in that class. Look, I love my classmates now Mm -hmm. I have a lot of resentment that I have to work through I have to be honest I have a lot of resentment yeah I came from a co-ed school yes it was also private so I I do have a bubble around me but it was a a slightly bigger bubble these girls had been in this school since they were seven oh wow maybe even less they had a bubble a very tight one I remember one of the first experiences that I had there were these two girls. I was sitting in the middle of them. One of them goes to the other. Yeah, I went to Spain during the summer. And it was June. So imagine all these queers strolling around, kissing and holding hands. It was disgusting. I wanted to puke. Mm. I was in the middle of them. I was like, oh my god. And then the other one turns around and says, no, no, no. Gays are so cute. They're so adorable. They're like, but only the cute ones. Only the the handsome ones. Oh my gosh. The rest are kind of gross. And you know what's even grosser? And you know what's even more disgusting? Lesbians. Uh. It was the first week. (laughs) I just wanted to go to school. And they were looking at me like, add to the conversation and I couldn't. Mm. And I'm certain these girls don't remember it. I'm certain. But it made such a number on me. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I was like, okay, so lesbians are gross. Got it. Mm. Three years I went to the school. It was a daily thing of 
homosexuals are perverts homosexuals are going to hell uh they're just like pedophiles this from teachers and students from teachers from classmates yeah you're hearing us from everywhere from fellow parents you were closeted at this point in school i was full closeted i was only aligned to a couple of online friends yeah Mm -hmm. just them and it was an obsession they had Mm -hmm. and i've realized that a lot of people may not remember it that way. I'm just thinking of everyone, everyone I know, like listening to this podcast. I know that a lot of people don't remember it that way. I've spoken to a lot of friends. When you're out of it, you don't even register it. They're trying right. to nail this on your head, but you don't even register it. Mm-hmm. For me, I was aware of it. Hyper mm-hmm. aware of it. Because I was always trying to like, okay, am I looking too much? Am I lingering on a touch? Am I doing this? Am I going to come out as pervert? When I come out in seven years, because I thought I wouldn't come out in until I was like mid-20s, will they remember this moment and think, wow, Danny's such a pervert? Mm. It was constant my mind trying to figure out how am I going to come off? How am I going to keep this secret? Because I was certain that if... I slipped if a rumor started or if someone found out. When I first got into the school, I went through my Instagram, the people I followed, and I followed every pretty girl and every gay account. Because mm. I was like, I cannot afford to get kicked out of the school. Uh. Because that's what I thought was going to happen. Now I realize that they have a protocol they follow if a student comes out as gay. And it involves, this is what I heard after involves hiring a psychologist from Spain that comes here and gives you conversion therapy, basically. Oh, my gosh. And that's currently the policy? That's currently the policy, so long as I'm aware. You must have been exhausted. Yeah. I was exhausted. I was also struggling a lot with my body image. And the first week of school, I also had an encounter with some kids that made so many phobic remarks and they were kids they were tiny kids like they were six but it made such an impact on me that i may have developed an eating disorder while i was in school everything Mm. just added to it you're right oh it was one of the worst times in my life it sounds just like a really really toxic environment it was so toxic and a lot of people agree yeah i know from a lot of my friends now that they were also miserable The bridge that I'm wondering about now as I'm thinking about this timeline is like you're a very young and incredibly accomplished artist at this point right now, currently, while I'm talking to you. Elder millennial here and I'm like, oh my gosh, published on the cover of US Magazine at 21 years old is like incredible. In this period of time, you go from this incredibly traumatizing Catholic school to becoming this celebrated artist who looks at queerness and Catholicism Like, how does that happen? The time from high school to right now in your young adulthood, what's the bridge between then and now? Because it's a pretty incredible evolution. Basically, when I was in this school, I was like, okay, God doesn't want anything to do with me. I don't want anything to do with him. I became basically like a Reddit atheist. I was like, I hate everything to do with religion. I hate everything to do with y'all. I can't wait to get over with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I started listening to a lot of atheist podcasts, a lot of atheist content. I started consuming it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want anything to do with God. I didn't want anything to do with religion. And I was consuming this atheist content because they understood me. 
they understood the trauma that comes with religion and nobody was saying it around me nobody was Mm -hmm. saying how toxic this environment was but they were Mm -hmm. and then I started following this creator called God is Grey and I was like oh there's another way of believing because like Mm -hmm. I said like I mentioned before I always loved believing the God part wasn't the problem and so I started going okay so I'm gonna I'm gonna do it on my own terms like this healing is gonna come on my own terms and this is when you're still in high school this was my senior year of high school senior year all right so you're like finish line you can see the finish line yeah like yeah. get me out of here I imagine yes <laughs> and so I start listening to her and then I think this was right after high school I graduated and I was like okay that was it she has this interview with a catholic creator mm. and this catholic is hounding her I love this catholic creator don't get me wrong she's like going at for after her like with very valid arguments I was like, okay, I'm going to start following this Catholic creator. She was not affirming. She's like very traditional. I started following her just because like I wanted to learn more about Catholicism. And I started listening to her. And I was like, dang it. I think I believe what she's saying. I think she's right. I think Catholicism is true. Okay, so where does that leave me? Because here I am. I was like, okay, so I'm going to I'm gonna become Episcopalian or Quaker or, you know, one of these affirming churches. Like, I'm going to get to believe in God and be queer. Here I go. And then I find this creator and I realize Catholicism is talking to me and is speaking to me and it's calling me to stay in the church. But I'm gay. So it was an internal this person, the podcaster, like helped you sort of start understanding a lot of the stuff, but that voice is very internal. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, okay, so Catholicism is true for me. Wow. What do I do? So I start having a full-on crisis because I knew at that point that I could not marry a man. Mm-hmm. I didn't rationalize it like this at the moment. I was just like, okay, how do I run from the temptation of, you know, getting a girlfriend and running off and living in a cottage together? <laughs> I'm going to become a nun. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I started researching convents that I could join near me Mm -hmm. (laughs) and go like visit. And I called a friend who's very religious. She's from an Opus Dei family. And I call her and I'm crying. And I'm like, what do I do? Like, what do I do? What do I do? She's like, calm down. What's happening? I was like, I think I want to become a nun. She was like, oh, so worried. I thought you were going to say you were bisexual. (laughs) (gasps) No. Oh my gosh. Um, so I was like, well, no. And so I had this conversation with her. I was like, how do I become a nun and have all this love for queer people in my heart? How, how do I do it? Because at the time, I was just an ally to them. Mm. I was an ally. Yeah. I was just like a very passionate ally. You were out as an ally. I was out as an ally. Okay. But uh, I was like, how do I do it? I don't remember what she said. But it was something along the lines of, you can still love them. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> that feels like a sort of boilerplate Catholic response, right? Yeah. Like, it's so vague and it doesn't actually get into the weeds of like, but how are we saying we love queer people if we're not allowing them their full humanity? It's just sort of this like, you know, just love and then let's not talk about the reality. Exactly. So I went on and I found out about Vine and Fig which is how I'm here. So Vine and Fig is a small community of queer Catholics. They have a a small, well, it's not small anymore. It's a Slack community. And they have a podcast called Tabard Inn. So I started listening to it. And everything just clicked. I was like, oh, you can be queer and Catholic? 
I don't have to choose. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes so much sense. I didn't think about it before. Mm-hmm. I started reading the resources they had and listening to the stories of all these queer and Catholic people in the Slack that they interviewed in the podcast. And I started talking to them, like talking to all these people. And it was just such a euphoric moment. It's like, this is it. I found my people. Mm -hmm. Finally, after all this struggle, I found where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I started going through this part where I was like, I have all this love for God. I have nowhere to put it. So I started drawing, Mm -hmm. started sharing it on the Slack. They started asking me, do you have an Instagram? I was like, no, I'm afraid. (laughs) I'm scared. I don't want to put myself out there. Mm -hmm. I'm scared Mm -hmm. of what people are going to say to me. But through all their their support, I put together an Instagram. I had, at the time, I already had a blog, but I wasn't sharing my art. It was just vaguely religious stuff. Andrew Saints, the name came to me in a dream. Oh, I was going to ask you about the name. I wanted to make a blog for a long time, like to document my euphoric moment of (laughs) aha of being a queer Catholic. And while I was sleeping, I was like, it was kind of like, who am I accompanied by? Like, who am I? just a girl and her saints behind her wow and then i was like oh it has double meaning because it's the girl me and her saints and it's the church all of us Mm -hmm. and her saints because the church is feminine so i was like ah that's so cool people started asking for prints i was like well how do i do that if i'm literally (sighs) in the middle of nowhere i'm kidding it's not in the middle of nowhere but it's very far away from where most of the people that follow me are Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. how do i ship them oh i can just print on demand okay so you made a store and it's fine and the rest is history and I'm, now i'm here wow when i was 19 i was like okay i'm ready to get confirmed mm. so since it was in the pandemic i was like this is perfect yeah. i don't have to go anywhere i can there just do go. it from my computer oh that's great well the most important question for our podcast is what what is your confirmation name which you were more of an adult, so you, I'm sure, were more thoughtful than our 13-year-old selves. But <laughs> I want to know. Okay, so the whole, like, choosing a confirmation name is a very American thing. We don't, we don't do that. What? So you just use your name? We don't change our names. We just... Oh, really? It's different. I don't so know. So it's just like your, your name on the confirmation certificate, probably. Just like your I don't have a confirmation name from baptism. Oh, no, wait. It's, it's like a little paper. I didn't keep mine, but I think there is one, theoretically. (laughs) There was one. It probably got recycled at some point. I think I do have it. Yeah, it's just my name. I did choose a confirmation saint because I was so surrounded by American Catholics that I was like, Mm. oh, you got to choose one? That's cool. I'm going to choose one. pick a saint, your own saint. Okay, so who did you choose? St. Therese of Lisieux. Oh, lovely. Yeah. St. Therese. She's come up before on this podcast. She's one of our favorites. One of the topics that was brought up a lot during the school as a running joke which is very fucked up was the AIDS epidemic Um, Mm. people were not kind about it and and they would like like link it towards gayness (gasps) oh that's heartbreaking and horrifying that was part of my catholic school experience and I'm like that hasn't changed come on okay okay so when I first looked her up it said that she was a patron saint of those suffering with AIDS. Hmm. I was like, since it was, has been related to my queerness for such a long time, I want her. Mm-hmm. And then the more I read her autobiography and I cried like a baby the whole way through. Mm. 
I was like, yeah, no, I want her. She's I want her, her to be mine. She's one of the saints that you've drawn, right? Yes. She's my profile picture at the minute. I was looking a little bit at your Etsy store and I was looking at some of the reviews and I see like there are queer Catholics who are like, oh, this is so cool. But there's like sisters who order from you and are like, we use this for our retreat this weekend yeah. or whatever. Oh. It's incredible. I mean, what kind of feedback do you get? And how would you describe your, do you have a customer base? Do you feel like, do you have certain people who are most interested in your art or is it kind of all over the place? It's all over the place. I've gotten a lot of commissions from Anglican and Episcopalian ministers and priests and uh, reverends. I get a lot of those, uh, which is lovely. I think it's so cool. Yeah. Which is cool because we, we, we share, we share the, the same saints. Mm -hmm. it's just different I really like that and I think the Catholic Church we had when we had Father Anne on the podcast she was saying who's a a woman priest who's yes I know know, you're familiar great she was just talking about the same thing like connecting with other Christians and I think what's interesting about Catholics who are existing and living and practicing in the margins which is a lot of who we end up talking to when we do talk to practicing Catholics is people who are in some way in the margins. Yes. People in those margins find community with each other. And they also are the, the Catholics who are being more ecumenical and like reaching out and talking to other yes. Christians or to non-Christians and making more of those connections, which I think is so lovely. It's something that I feel the Catholic church doesn't always do enough of. And it's like, mm-hmm. those are the people actually doing that work um, are the people more in on the on the edges and in the margins absolutely i do have a lot of people from all really i think people from all religions follow me hmm. i have pagan friends that i've tricked into buying my stuff <laughs> i do have a lot of diversity in the people that follow me and yeah there's been a couple of sisters reaching out to me to buy my work and that's really cool mm-hmm. we've talked about this before But sometimes it feels like we're living in a very Catholic moment. There's a lot of articles written about the pop culturism of Catholics. Like people are wearing their Catholicism or iconography that's Catholic right now. Um, uh, The Kardashian wedding that was like real Italian and Catholic, even even though I don't even think the Kardashians are Catholic. It's just like a vibe. It's a it's very it's a little kind of Catholicism, the art is having sort of a trendy moment, at least in American yeah. culture now. Do you have any opinions on why that you think that's happening for, I think it's a lot of young people driving that. It usually is. <laughs> Certainly internet fueled. Yeah. yeah. I think Catholicism just has objectively a really cool vibe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm an art history major. So I spend a lot of time thinking about aesthetics and, and all. And I just, I think the way Catholicism has developed like through the years, through the centuries. This could be bad or good depending on the geographic location we're talking about, but Catholicism is a very syncretic religion. It has gathered from every everything they've mm-hmm. touched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether that be by force or just two cultures meeting each other. Mm-hmm. And I think it has picked out the coolest parts of each of those encounters the way you're talking about it like i'm imagining some sort of i don't know like organism that's just like it's like the best adapter i don't know just some yeah. sort of virus almost that's just like <laughs> i will not leave <laughs> yeah. right like i will find my way 
through. Yeah. Um, it's very fascinating. So we've had a few people on this podcast, like Father Anne, like yourself, who in the face of a church that seems to be saying, not you, you stay or you find your way through yeah. to staying with the church. And I continually find this inspiring and and it challenges me because mm-hmm. when I was in Catholic school and I was hearing a lot of the message you are I'm not queer I am an ally and I, I was like I don't think I can stay here like it just it was the only option I heard in my voice so I'm continually wanting to pick at that thread whenever I meet people who are like no I'm I'm I find my way staying like I want to yeah. stay here I'm not going to be lapsed. So I guess part of my question is, are you practicing Catholic now? Yes. And if you could have talked to yourself back when you were like being confronted of this, like, is there something you would have said to yourself? Like you will find a way or there's other options. I'm curious what you might say to the person who's like, I don't think I belong here. So yes, I'm a practicing Catholic. I'm kind of honestly going through a little bit of a rough patch at the minute with mass mm-hmm. and everything just because I have social anxiety so I, <laughs> I get get very overwhelmed very easily and a few things have happened that have brought me to like sometimes miss mass and my mom has been really supportive through it all and she's the one that goes to mass with me and everything so sometimes we just stream it sometimes we just don't go and spend the Sunday together so I would say I'm practicing Catholic because the, the definition of a practicing Catholic is one is, is someone that goes to mass. No, that takes communion once. I'm a terrible Catholic. <laughs> You're better than we are. <laughs> that takes communion at least once during Easter. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yes. I think that that's like the baseline of what you have to do to remain. A- it's like keeping your certification. It's like if you're a, like a teacher or a doctor and you're like, I have to yeah. do these things just to keep up my certification. So if I wanted to go back full time, that's what it feels like. <laughs> just show up once a year at least, guys. I think you have to go to confession once a year. Confession is probably the big one, yeah. Anyway, if going to mass every Sunday is a qualification for that, I have failed technically I'm not practicing Catholic <laughs> but no I would consider myself a practicing Catholic yeah and I'll keep on going to mass it's just I'm, I'm going through a bad moment with my anxiety at the minute but I would say to whoever is you know struggling or to me in the past is that to really grab on to the fact that Catholic means universal mm-hmm. we can all be Catholic I have a very atypical way of seeing this I don't think everyone is called to be Catholic I don't think that's what it means. Hmm. Mm-hmm. This is something my grandmother used to say. And it's that religions are like a river. And then God is the ocean. Hmm. And she was a very devout Catholic. But she had this idea where each river may differ. Some may be broad. Some may be skinny. Some may be really violent. Some may be very soft and gentle. But each river is at some point or another going to take you to the ocean, which is God. For me, Catholicism is my river. Hmm. And I am stubborn and I'm staying here. (laughs) This is the course that I've chosen. And here's where I'll stay. I love that. I don't think everyone is called to the same river. Mm -hmm. But I think Catholicism, everyone could potentially join the river if they wanted to. I love that metaphor. So beautiful. I think this is a good place for our conversation to settle is with your grandmother's metaphor. Because I think that's so beautiful. And I so appreciate you sharing that with us from her so lovely but i have to say 
just as somebody who loves storytelling, you have so much stories. You need to write this all like this is a book. <laughs> An illustrated book. <laughs> We need to stop giving people projects. I feel like we just had we just had Nat on, and we were like, "You need to make your life a movie." Like we can't That's stop really sending people off with assignments. But if you ever do, we'll be the first readers. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so Absolutely. Much. Thank you so so much for your, for sharing your story, Danny. Because it's it's a lot, and we really really appreciate. It. I know it'll resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. So where can everyone find you on all the different places? Okay, so on Instagram, I'm and her saints spelled out. And then on Tumblr, I'm and her saints with little dashes in between the words. That's my Tumblr blog. And then on Twitter, I'm IDK who's Danny. <laughs> because I don't know who's Danny. And then on Instagram, my other account is author Danny for my writing tips and writing stuff. And that's it, I think. Well, we will link all of those in the show notes. So if folks want to find you, we will make sure they have access to all of those things. We have our virtual collection basket. You had someone you wanted us to send folks to? Yes. Uh, So my charity of choice is Art for Aid, which is an extension of I Love First Peoples. For me, one of the things I feel responsibility towards as a Catholic, as a practicing Catholic, is giving back to indigenous people and everything that they've been stolen. Yeah. So it's one of my favorite organizations since I love art so much. They provide art supplies. They send skilled people to like go teach art classes to indigenous schools in Canada for First Peoples and then Metis and then the Inuit. Wonderful. That sounds like an incredible organization. Love it. Stephanie and I are met as arts educators so we are fully, I, I'll speak for both of us, Stephanie, I imagine. I, anything with arts and young people and particularly Indigenous folks, that's wonderful. So thank you. We will link that in the show notes as well. Great. Well, Danny, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. Lovely, lovely, lovely talking to you. Thank you so much. I had a very nice time. Thank you so much. It was such an honor to be invited. Well, we hope this is just the beginning of our conversations. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and we will end as we always end, Stephanie and Danny, and also with you. And also with you. And also with you. <laughs> <laughs>